Welcome to episode six, I think. I think it is. Um, I think it's six. Yeah, I don't know. The weekly podcast against the state. Um, I'm Anarchist Mom, and we've got Roger Roots, the amazing Roger Roots. You might know me. Also. Not as amazing as you. Oh, whatever. You're better. Um, but yeah, so we've got news. We're going to be part of the Free Speech Media Network. Um, we decided to go with that network, and we're going to start streaming with them every Friday at 7 Eastern time, I think. So it's 6 my time, 5 your time. Sound about right? I think so. This is awesome. It's a great development. I know. I know. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be great. It's just a matter of time before we're in the Rush Limbaugh time slot. Right? <laughs> it's going to be huge. <laughs> That's my uh, my uh, Trump impersonation. Isn't it great? It is great. Okay. So yes. today we're going to talk about um, the effects lockdowns have had on kids. And um, masking, um, education, no one's been in school for a year, or they have hybrid school, or they're doing remote learning, um, and just the effects it's had on kids, there hasn't been a lot of attention drawn to that. And, you know, I'm a mom. It's been something that's, you know, weighing on my heart a lot because of my son, or actually, I have eight kids, but I only have one that um, lives with me who's a minor. So um, all my other kids are grown. But um, yeah, this has just been something that's really frustrated me this entire year during this stupid lockdown and pandemic and all this other shit, how the needs of kids are not being met. So what do you Pandemic in quotes. Yeah. Pandemic in quotes. Yeah. yeah. There is no pandemic. <laughs> It's so sad. I mean, I, I, I get into a thousand arguments. You know, all of us who've been on this side of this issue, which you could call the freedom side, the libertarian side, we've all had to become experts on this. I can get into an argument with a professor of immunology and, and you know, have great discussions about the, the data, you know, the studies. And it almost goes nowhere because it's it's just a battle between trust of government and distrust of government. Right. It's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. But so this year, let me let me tell a story. How we how about we start with a story, a personal story. So my kids went to public school before this started. Um, and last year, like two weeks before spring break was started, Ben was in school in Portland, Oregon, and they're like, they sent a letter home or an email and they're like, well, we're going to, um, extend spring break, you know, and started early and then we'll see if we're going to go back, you know, before, before school start before, you know, spring break ends. And then of course they extended you know, spring break till the end of the school year. And then, you know, um, I think maybe the last month he had some kind of hybrid education where he had to like log into like, you know, an online school and they, 
literally in his science class and he was in eighth grade his teacher was like draw a diagram of the solar system i mean what kind of freaking learning is that but anyways but yeah i mean it's just ridiculous how kids have like i think the ifr for kids is like point zero 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 two so that's their infection fatality rate they have less i mean it's their chances of dying from covid are infinitesimal i mean honestly and it's like they lock down they put them in like solitary confinement because like what do they do now that they don't go to school you know what i'm saying because everything you know after that everything's been locked down there's no hardly any businesses open um after this happened in march and then starting in mid-april in portland i don't know how it was in other states but portland they boarded up all the basketball hoops in the park they took down all the tennis nets so like you could do nothing at the park except like maybe sit there you couldn't play basketball which is something that men like to do um and so it's like they took away everything that kids could do like all the museums are closed and so it's like what were they supposed to do they were supposed they were pr practically prisoners in their own home you know and it's just like how is that healthy for them it's just it it's infuriating how they gave no regard to the mental impact this would have on our kids. Yeah, the uh, I I just read something uh, that the the likelihood the likelihood of a child under eighteen dying from COVID is uh, much lower than the likelihood of dying of them dying from a lightning strike. Much much lower. Yeah. Exactly. They're more likely to die, much more likely to die from being struck by lightning than to die from COVID. Yeah. And it's like, it's ridiculous. Um, and then what about, okay, so how about now we have all these mask mandates and like parents, you know, walk around with their infants. Um, some parents, I've like where I work, I've seen some parents come in with masks on their like two-year-old kids. Um, even some infants I've seen have had masks on. Um, but like, what about like the psychological development of children and infants, you know, who aren't seeing faces because, you know, like in child psychology, it's so important for kids and infants to be able to see people's facial expressions, see people talk. That's how they learn, you know, that's how they learn language. And they learn, you know, how to be a human is by all of that nonverbal communication, all of that facial expressions in their parents and the people that they see that are close to them. And none of them are getting that now. I mean, well, maybe they're getting some of it, but they're obviously getting less when all these people that they're around have masks on and half their faces are covered. How is that going to affect them? Uh, and by the way, it has to, you know, I, I don't think we've seen enough information about the impact on education levels. I mean, uh, there is a Brookings Institute study that uh, that just analyzed the spring semester. In other words, this would have been, we don't even have the data from the current school year, but the actual outcomes of education have, have really been hit hard. There was a Brookings Institute study of 
the uh, impacts of the COVID shutdowns and lockdowns last school year. That would have been the spring of last year, 2020. And it found that roughly the speaking communication and English levels, the learning gains in reading relative to a typical school, typical school year, they were only at 70% uh, from, what, from the data that they were gathering. This is the Brookings Institute. Uh, Mathematics was at 50% of typical gains. So it, it had already been cut in half. Educational attainment and testing scores in math had already been at 50%. And that was in the spring, at the end of the spring of 2020, when they were let out, quote, let out for summer, let out for summer, quote, unquote, which of course they were, when they were locked up for summer. Right. Instead locked of just locked up, up right. in school. Well, exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. Right. Um, so right. this is having a devastating impact on education levels, reading levels, speaking levels, mathematics ability, all manner of learning and, and skills training. Uh, it's, it's If an enemy wanted to destroy the Western world, uh, you couldn't come up with a better plan than this scam, this, uh, this uh, panic-demic that they've rolled out. The scandemic, the scandemic. Yeah. But um, so, so in like in something else that no one brings up is like, what about all those special needs kids that, you know, because I have a son that's autistic and, you know, he was, he was relatively nonverbal and he had a lot of trouble in school with anxiety and stuff. So he eventually stopped going to school. Um, but like the kids that need, you know, that get their education and get their therapy and stuff at school, that this has got to have like a terrible, you know, impact on them. They've got to be like backpedaling, you know, and reverting back to old behaviors that are not, you know, helpful because they're not getting the therapies that they need. Um, and, you know, they're none of that was taken. I don't think any of that was taken into consideration. I mean, it's. It's criminal. It's literally criminal. And then what about all the kids that their only refuse, you know, was school because they have abusive parents, um, alcoholic parents, you know, at home. And so now they're locked in their home with these parents. I mean, I know you've seen the statistics that child abuse has increased. Um, alcoholism has increased. Um, domestic abuse has increased. I've read a study um, and I posted on my Facebook page that Self-harm, and it was done by the BBC, self-harm among elementary and uh, middle school kids has increased exponentially since all these lockdowns. Um, the suicide rates of kids have increased exponentially because of this. All of this, and none of this is even talked about in the media. All they talk about is, oh my God, all these people, they only, they have tunnel vision like all these people are dying from COVID. It's like, who the fuck cares? I mean, yeah. It's terrible that people die, but what are we doing to everybody else? Because we're only focusing on this one thing, but we've got a whole generation of people that are going to be running the world in 10, 15 years that we're conducting <laughs> psychological torture on them. This is nothing but torture to them. I it's it's uh... <laughs> kids that are sitting in school. They're like, six feet apart from each other at lunch tables and they can't talk to each other? Or what about those kids that, you know, they're in-person learning and they have like those plexiglass, 
that plexiglass shit around their desk and they have to wear masks and they have these plexiglass, you know, they're encased in this plexiglass or those like circles on the floor that so that make sure they're six feet apart from each other in music class. This is all bullshit. This is all done. Totally arbitrary. This is so arbitrary. Totally arbitrary. Necessary. Kids have no risk from COVID. None. None whatsoever. It's just torture. They're torturing them. Psycho I mean, oh. isolation is psychological warfare. That's what they do to POWs. That's what they do to people on death row. That's what they do to people that try to kill people in prison. They put them in solitary confinement. That's what they're doing to our kids. And by the way, it's recognized as a civil rights violation if it's done in extreme at extreme uh, scale. Literally, prisoners who are subjected to isolation for extended periods of time have civil rights lawsuits, and which are successful. I mean, this is well documented. Uh, and and we're it's doing ridiculous. it across the board. All these children, it's it's a it's a, a national disgrace, and you know Europe is just as bad or worse. It's it, I just shudder to think about what's happening. Well, what are we doing to them? I mean, honestly, it's like how can anyone you know, feel good about themselves by keeping their kids away from everybody? It's like I have been a, a, a an instructor myself, and if you've ever been a teacher or, or a professor, you know one thing, which is that students are different. Different students respond differently to different types of uh, different types of teaching. There are some students who are they do better than others with uh, online, you know, computer terminal learning, uh, you know. Right. Staring into laptop laptop screens. There are some students that do okay. They tend to be the top students who do okay in every setting, anyways. By the way, but there are some students who cannot learn. They cannot learn without hands-on interpersonal communication. They just can't. And it's it's what is being done to children and and uh, people in education is a is a crime right now because. We, I mean, if if you could imagine uh, a master strike against against the Western world, that would render the the uh, you know the United States, Canada, and Europe totally at a disadvantage compared to the rest of the world. Uh, you'd have to say that this this uh, pandemic is the ultimate weapon of war. I mean, you couldn't devastate. The children of America more than you than than has happened during this fake COVID hoax. Well, let, hear me out here. So I was, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and so you know how like this, none of this has been protocol for any kind of pandemic until 2020. None of this, and it was only after. Um, legislatures or whatever went over to Wuhan, you know, in February or whatever, and they saw that the Chinese did that, and then they brought it back here, and that's when they decided, hey, that's what we should do. So, and you know, I've been hearing, cause I, I don't know how true this is, but like, when I'm in my car, my radio is set to like this conservative radio station, and like Glenn Beck comes on sometimes and so I'm listening to him one day and he's talking about how um 
like a lot of our movies, they change the endings because of the Chinese don't like the endings and it doesn't fit with what they believe in. And so a lot of times the endings of movies get changed because of that. I don't know how true that is. This is just what I heard on Glenn Beck. So um, I was thinking it's like maybe, you know, this is some kind of like covert operation by the Chinese or I mean, okay, this is just like me thinking, all right, I don't know if I believe this or not, but I'm just, you know, what if this is like their, you know, way of taking us over, right? It, I, it, it's, I certainly wouldn't hold it against anyone. I, I, I certainly would never discount that as a viable uh, explanation of what's going on. Because this, none of this makes any sense. This is nothing that has ever been done before, ever. And the Never. Of the United yeah, I, I agree. It all protocols. This is like the biggest uh, rights atrocity committed against the American people ever. I, I don't yeah. even know. I mean, it's just like it's overtaken every part of our life. You can't get away from it. Um, you know, as bad as public education is, and it is horrible. And by the way, the, the, the if there is any group or profession that is at odds with, uh, you know, liberty and freedom, arguably the teaching profession is is right up there as as the as one of the worst professions in terms of uh, in terms of the, the population of teachers are overwhelmingly, uh, you could say Democrat, you could say socialist, pro-government, pro-government extremist. Uh, most people well, in public education are exposed I to that that's constantly. True, because in Portland, a lot of like you could look at mugshots from people that are arrested from protests and stuff, and a lot of them are teachers. So a lot of them, hundreds. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it, you start with that as a problem. In other words, education has been in a, a horrible state for generations. I remember during the Reagan years, all right, during the Ronald Reagan years, there was a report that came out, and I forget the name of the report. Uh, it was put out by the uh, Ronald Reagan's, I guess, educational secretary or something, who came and uh, published a report, and it began with a paragraph that said, if a foreign enemy wanted to do, uh, wanted to destroy American education, uh, it couldn't do better than what the what is already happening. And in other words, uh, the teaching profession itself is one of the greatest domestic enemies that uh, we could ever have as Americans. And yet well, it's even gotten worse during the, the uh, lockdown period. It's terrible. And by the way, I've read it, it, at the college level, it's just as bad. Uh, there are, there are people paying for college. And I mean, Big bucks, fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars to go to a, a, attend a university and paying to live in dorms and whatnot, and they are practically in prison cells. Uh, yeah, th there was I read uh, an article where a kid was like, "The conditions are deplorable." He, you know, they're like kept in their dorms, you know, because if like one person gets COVID in their dorms, like the entire dorm has to lock down. No one can leave. They're given horrible substandard food. You know, it's awful. And their parents are paying $60,000 a year for that shit. 
and they're under total surveillance. Actually, they're paying all that money to live in dorms. And in some cases, it's a requirement, especially it's typical for universities to have a requirement that freshmen the first year uh, have to live in the dorms for a year yeah. as a requirement. And yet when they go to live in the dorms and they're paying big bucks for that, they then are on Zoom laptops for Zoom lectures, which they could do from home. I mean, right. And they're paying huge dollars for this. And they're under constant surveillance. There are surveillance cameras in every hallway. If they open their door, their dorm room and go down the hallway to knock on the door of a, a friend or something, they can actually be disciplined, potentially thrown out of college. And right. many of them are in a state of, you know, total revolt where they even agree with themselves that they will avoid uh, try to avoid the contact tracing by agreeing that they don't know each other and if they're questioned about where they how they tested positive for covid or whatever they will deny having contact with each other just to protect each other i mean these, right. this is inmate behavior this is prisoner behavior absolutely well do you remember reading that story of i can't remember what college it was but some kid was found and it was after school had ended, um, it was a college, and I think he was out for the semester or whatever, but he went to a house party, and the college kicked him out, and they wouldn't repay his money. They're like, you can't come back because you went to, you know, a party. On his own free time, you know, but you went to this party, you're endangering everyone on this campus if you come back. Now, by the way, along those lines, there are lawsuits by some of the students who signed up for college and then were subjected to all these things. And, you know, honestly, people go to high level elite colleges hoping that they will have contact with great professors. You know, people go to Harvard expecting they will brush elbows with uh, these big name scholar superstars, academic uh, celebrities, you know, professor right. so-and-so. And when you're locked up in your, in your dorm staring at your laptop screen, you never actually get to ever have any contact with these people. The whole thing is a gigantic scam. I actually think any college student should just quit and just drop out until it's all, until it's resolved somehow. You know, wouldn't that be awesome? Because look how much money those colleges would lose. Yeah, and of course, college is a bubble that is collapsing anyway. <laughs> the whole thing is collapsing. We are, we are watching this in real time. Within five years, we're going to see that uh, college populations are way down. And, and most people agree, including myself. I've been a college professor myself. And I will just tell you that for most of my students, the best thing they could have done would be drop out and learn some skills, learn to drive a truck or weld or become an electrician or something. It would be the best thing they could do would be to leave. <laughs> well, it's like they try to streamline college and tell everyone, oh, you have to go to college. Well, some people aren't meant to go to college, and that's just the fact of life. Some people aren't a good fit for college education, and that's not trying to disparage them or anything. It's not saying they're a bad person or they're stupid. Just some people aren't fit for college. They don't – it doesn't work for them, you know? And so – 
why try to do this one size fit all thing for everybody? And, you know, and it's just like the rule of supply and demand. If everyone has a college education and a college degree, that makes that degree worthless. If everyone yeah, has one, absolutely. who cares? It means nothing then. Yeah. It's just like a high school diploma. You know, if everyone has one, whoopity do. Yeah. That's what, you know, it used to mean something when you're like, oh, I graduated from college. You know, I, I have my bachelor's degree in something. Well, now everybody has a bachelor's degree in something. You know, I have a bachelor's degree in women's studies or big fucking deal. I mean, how hard was that? You actually have a bachelor's degree in women's studies? No. I do not. <laughs> I would never. I understand there are many people who do. I would never, ever, ever major in human studies. I have studies. a PhD in sociology, which isn't much, far, much different. Well, that was when I first started college. That was my major, sociology. But when I it's an interesting back, field, but <laughs> yeah. Well, when I went back the second time, I switched it to physics. And then I went back again, and then I switched it to biology and um, evolutionary anthropology. Um, some uh, listeners who are libertarians or anarchists or anarcho-capitalists are probably familiar with the name Hans Hermann Hoppe. Are you familiar with Hans Hermann Hoppe? I love that guy. He's a he. Actually, he was one of my professors. Okay, really? uh, when I was at UNLV, I barely got my PhD. I bar they they flagged me in that in the sociology department as a problem. They flagged me as a problem, and the, and the feminist professors there were trying everything they could do to stop me from getting my PhD. I was so far advanced. I I was so far in terms of writing my dissertation. I was so outperforming the other students. <laughs> I really was. And uh, so it was very clear I was going to graduate, you know, ahead of time, ahead of schedule. And the, the feminist professors were trying to stop me. Now, I had a great uh, advisor. You know, when you get when you're in graduate school, you have a, you have to have a committee. And the committee are high level learned professors who will review you and review your right. your dissertation and your research to determine whether or not you qualify to get the, the great uh, sheepskin, the PhD uh, degree. And uh, in my case, I had this great guy named Frederick Preston. He was my advisor, former Marine, former Vietnam veteran Marine. Now, he was a card-carrying liberal Democrat, but he was at least a Marine, and he, he'd seen it all, and he'd seen a lot of things. And he was actually fairly very tolerant. He was very tolerant of ideas. And so he took me under his wing and he really loved chit-chatting with me. And we all, you know, I, I was a libertarian then just as, just as I am now. Actually, I was probably more moderate now. And, um, he, uh, anyways, to make a long story short, you know, there were other big academic stars on the campus. This is a UNLV, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And, uh, uh, you have to form a committee. The committee votes to, to approve you. So you have three professors in the sociology department, and then you have to have one professor from another department, or it could be another university, an outsider. And the, and the role of the outsider professor on the committee is to protect you from the others or protect you from the school or the department or whatever. 
Now, Fred Preston, my advisor, knew that I was going to be up against votes, votes of the enemies, the, the feminist harpies that were going to try to vote me down and try to stop me. And so he said, we've got to come up with a plan to get past these feminist harpy professors who are going to lash out and try to strike you down. I would never have gotten my PhD, but for Hans Hermann Hoppe, I said, well, uh, you know, I was in criminology. Okay. I'm a, I'm a criminology professor. I'm a criminology scholar. All right. So I said, there is this great criminology professor in the criminal justice department. Uh, Meathy, Terry Meathy, big name. He writes a lot of books. Initially, I was going to choose him as my outside uh, uh, professor on my committee. The problem is Preston knew a lot of things. And he said, well, he's just another liberal Democrat. He's going to vote you down. I'm telling you, all these people are enemies. You're not going to get past them. So I went to the economics department at UNLV. And that was Hans Hermann Hoppe's last year at UNLV. That was his last year. And I, I, you know, I, I was aware of his books and whatnot. And so I tracked him down and I chit chatted with him and I impressed him enough. Sure, I'm on your committee. Count me in. Had it not been for Hans Hermann Hoppe, Triple H, I would never, because it came down to a, a split decision. The sociology department, the feminist harpies, the, the, the total socialist Marxist professors voted to stop me and voted to deny me my PhD. So we actually had to overcome and outvote them with Preston. And, and Preston was able to strong arm another guy named Fontana, another good guy. And, uh, and, and Hans Hermann Hobby, who I believe was on a sabbatical in Europe or somewhere at the time. And it, through emails, Hans Hermann Hoppe voted to, to uh, outvote the, the Marxist professors. So uh, where was I going with this? Okay, Hans Hermann Hoppe, who's a great uh, libertarian scholar, and uh, he's uh, one of the great, you could call him the Austrian school of economics, a true uh, anarcho-capitalist scholar and professor. Uh, he wrote this great book called Democracy, the God that Failed. Are you familiar with that book? I am. Anarchist model. Yeah, a great book. The, the thesis of the book is great. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. The thesis of the book, for those who don't know, is that uh, all of us were freer under monarchies than we are today under democracies. Right. We, I mean, and we overthrew monarchies with the idea that we'd become freer and it didn't happen. Well, wasn't Go like, ahead. like his point was that under a monarchy, the monarchs own the land. So they care more about it and they're more willing to take care of it than your representative government that you'd have in a democracy. That's one of the main themes under monarchies, the King and his family are the owners of the country. At right. least, you know, I guess in theory. So they own the country and consequently they have an interest in making sure the country is in better is better off when they leave it than when they right. found it. Right. The opposite is true in democracy. In democracy, right. the opposite is true, where the, the, the biggest shysters and con artists who can win your vote making fake promises that they don't ever intend to keep and promising you the, the, the wind and, and delivering nothing. Uh, in democracies, the worst human beings rise to the top. Now in monarchies, <laughs> that could be true, but not frequently. Again, they have an interest in making sure the kingdom uh, stays 
as good as or better than when they found it. Right. Um, anyway, a very interesting book. I'm not, there are points that I disagree with, by the way. Right. Well, yeah. I don't I mean, live under a monarchy either. Neither really one of us would advocate for a monarchy. We don't advocate for a democracy. I mean, you know, either one of those forms of government, you know, it always makes me think of um, Einstein's quote, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So, I mean, that's what I think of every time people go to vote. It's just like, how, I mean, we've been doing this for how many years now? 240, 50 years and every year you're voting for the lesser of two evils, you know, has made this country a shithole. And if, you know, your form of government depends on who's in office, getting the right person in office, it's obviously not a good form of government. But I haven't finished where I was going at the beginning of this. Okay, go for it. At the introduction of that book, Hans Hermann Hoppe's great book, Democracy, the God that Failed, in his introduction, he says, I don't know quite how to classify this book. It's not really economics. It's not really history. It really is sociology. Sociology is defined as the study of society. However, he said, it probably would never qualify in what passes for modern sociology because modern sociology at the academic level is, I'm, I'm misquoting him, but he said something like, modern sociology in the universities is, is false, dumb, and boring. <laughs> that was what he said about sociology. He said that Democracy, the God that Failed, his book, is actually a work of sociology, and I sort of agree. It's a part of the study of society, but um, uh, it wouldn't qualify under the uh, – uh, most modern sociology professors wouldn't claim it because they disagree and detest the thesis right. of it. Well, his – what do you say, false, dumb, and boring? That false, me, dumb, and boring. I'm, I, I'm paraphrasing my kids because when they don't like something they're like oh well, that's fake and gay <laughs> fake and gay so that's our uh that's our little insult to things at home fake and gay <laughs> um but anyways okay so going back to kids i had this theory and i kind of don't know if i still think this but for a while i thought you know, everyone was so happy that all the kids were out of school because they weren't getting government indoctrination, which, yes, I agree, is great. However, with, like, the normies that are out there that are going along with all of this, I think it's a it was a bad thing because it made things seem worse than what they were. And it's like, if you could get the school kids back to school, it would bring back a sense of normalcy. People could go back to work kind of thing. And it would make people feel less stressed because they wouldn't have, you know, this constant reminder that their kids are home and that there's this really weird thing going on and I don't know what it is. And it, let, you know, raises all their cortisol and stress levels. And it just makes them not be able to think rationally because they're always in this state of fear you know because they've got that 24-hour fear porn going on on tv because no one can talk about anything but all these people that are dying from covid and then you know now their kids are home and and i just felt like if kid if they would just 
send kids back to school, people might start questioning things because things would start going back to normal. You know what I'm saying? They could have some more normalcy in their life. And kids, you know, would feel like things were getting back to normal. But, you know, it, it's still, there's still kids that can't go back to school. I mean, in San Diego, I hear about it all the time. And maybe it's San Francisco. It's one of those school systems in California where the teachers unions are just, you know, dragging their feet. They won't let the kids go back to school. They won't let, you know, they won't listen to the parents. They've had, um, you know, recorded conversations played on air where the, the school board's just like, well, I don't give a fuck what the, the parents think. We're not doing this, you know? And the teachers unions are bullying and saying, we're not, we're not letting the teachers go back to school. And, and what about like in that one um, teachers union um, Facebook page where they're like, teachers, don't post about your summer vacations and don't post about any of your spring break vacations because it'll make it look bad when we're trying to not, you know, keep you from going back to teaching, you know, going back into the buildings and stuff like that. So it's just all just one big fucking lie, one big farce. It's just like they're they're holding our kids hostage. I mean, I'm not a big proponent of public education. Yes, my some of my kids went to public school. They no longer go to public school. I refuse to let my kids go to school with any of this bullshit going on. They are not wearing masks. They're not social distancing. No, I don't give a fuck. I will, I will go to my death before I let my kids go to public school during any of this. I mean, public school is bad enough, but now with all this shit, it's, it's prison. It is literal prison. There's no way in hell they will ever go back to school. Ever. Now my rant is Amen. Over. Amen. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I just think um, this is just so it's so it's criminal. We are destroying this entire nation, this entire generation of people and she's like, this is the first time my daughter's been out of the house in two months. I thought I'd bring her to Starbucks and get a coffee. Like, you fucking dumbass. That's what I wanted to say to her. So, like, I don't understand. I just, I don't get it. And it's probably because I was brought up with a, you know, a, a dis, you know, t I was taught to distrust anything the government said. Anything and everything. You don't believe any of it. You know, it's funny. I was not taught that. I learned that. It took me a long time. I actually had to learn that on my own. I was brought up as, a, you know, an Eagle Scout, literally. I mean, right. uh, motherhood, apple pie, the flag. I mean, you know, all the great ceremonial institutions of uh, government. You know, uh, I was taught to honor and respect you know, law enforcement and all these things. It was only as an adult I realized what a scam that was. Well, what's funny, and this is so, my dad, you know, he'd always teach me, like, he'd tell me, he's like, don't ever pledge allegiance to anything because it's it's a form of worship and you're only supposed to worship God and it's a form of idolatry. So I was like, I thought I was real cool and I had my dad write my a teacher a note in second grade, please excuse Melanie from saying the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> And so my teacher, she'd make me stand up, but she would never make me put my hand over my heart or anything. So I'd never say the Pledge of Allegiance. 
And um, she was always so mean to me after that. And I never made the connection until when I got older, but she was so, she was always like on my ass about everything after that. And it was now that I made that connection. But when I was little, I was like, why is Mrs. Crandall so mean? Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, we are all raised in this psychology of state worship. You know, I mean, some more than others, but I can tell you, I grew up in super patriot ideology and, uh, you know, the whole thing with Veterans Day, Memorial Day, where you go to the cemeteries and you you honor these these great, uh, you know, sacrifices for your freedom. It's all a lie. I mean, now I, I have great respect for, you know, veterans, especially the ones that that gave it all they had, you know, but uh, they certainly didn't secure my freedom. Yeah. And the Defense Department of the United States is not out to secure my freedom. Uh, you could argue the opposite is probably true, generally speaking. Um, <laughs> for all the, the money that the taxpayers have spent on on uh, the U.S. military, uh, you would think we'd be the freest people in the world. And yet here we are locked in our homes like prisoners. And we have to put on these uh, face masks to walk around and go into a store. Uh, you know, I, I could make a joke and say, well, they didn't fight hard enough for my freedom when they were bombing those uh, funerals and, and, and weddings in Iraq. Or when uh, they're out there protecting the poppy fields. They're not really fighting very hard for our freedom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, it's I a shame. Now, <laughs> I think the best thing that we can do is like, I don't, you know, I honestly, I don't know this, if you have any kids, Roger, because we never talk about things like I that, don't. but no. like I'm doing, I'm trying my hardest to raise my kids to be critical thinkers. Now, not all my kids are anarchists. My daughters are more liberal. My sons are more towards the anarchist. Um, but at least I feel like I taught them how to think. And I think that's, you know, we need to make sure that when we're anarchists and we're raising our kids, we teach them how to be critical thinkers and not just to fall in line. And, you know, and it's just, I don't know. I'm just so frustrated at this whole situation, the way the kids have been treated. They're not given any kind of, you know, no one's thinking about what's happening to them. And it's, when this started happening and I lived in Portland with Ben, because just him and I lived there and I like cried so many times because I was just like, what is, what is happening? And, and I just weep for him. And he even told me one day, he's like, mom, I hate this world after COVID. He's like, I don't even know what I have to look forward to anymore. And there's sometimes I don't even know what to tell them because I don't even know what there is to look forward to sometimes because I see all the shit that's going on and I'm just like, I don't even know a way out of it because so many people are just living in blind with blinders on. It's like they don't want to admit what's going on. Uh, I would have to say we're definitely at the end or the beginning of an era probably the end of the Republic and probably the beginning of something else. And uh, we're living in very interesting times. It's not clear exactly where anything's headed or going, but uh, it's so 
uh, rewarding to see that there are hundreds of people who are on our side of things and looking at things critically. And, uh, you know, this podcast, we've, we've reached how many, how many viewers did we have last week? 97. <laughs> 97. We are growing by leaps and bounds every week. And, uh, well, you know, we're about, we're being picked up by the freedom, whatever this is in the free speech, free speech media network, the free speech media network right yes. here, right there. And, uh, so we're making progress. We are. And if you guys like our content, you can go to Facebook and like our Facebook page, the weekly podcast against the state. All of our YouTube videos are uploaded on my YouTube channel, Anarchist Mom. Um, you can find us on Spotify. We're on Spotify now. Um, but, yeah. We need to get the word out. We need to keep yeah. doing this. Because more people need to speak up. More people need to speak I, um, up. Hey, it's it's almost like wrong. we are in a... It's almost like we are in a science fiction horror story. It's We're in a movie. So you know, it's like Star Wars. Yes. We are the rebellion versus the empire. And we're just a small, small, we're probably outnumbered and we're certainly outspent. But, uh, you know, we are growing and uh, they can't say we don't have uh, fire in our bellies and, uh, and uh, truth, righteousness and goodness in our hearts. And, well, uh, you know, there's well, a chance we can win this. Let me give you a quote. Samuel Adams, it does not take an, uh, my, a majority to prevail, only an irate, tireless minority came to set brush fires in people's minds. So, Amen. There you go. It only there you takes go. one. Right on. Well, the American Revolution, what, only 3% of the population even agreed with that. Wasn't it about three percent? That's what I've heard. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Now it's funny. I, I that, that that is conventional wisdom. I've actually I've seen Ron Paul's book. Ron Paul uh, wrote a book uh, a few years back, and in his intro, he said that he actually thinks it was much more than three percent. Um, honestly, I have to say that we right now in the good old USA have more than three percent. We may not be much more than 10%, but in terms of people that I see in the stores who are unmasked and who are defying the authorities in different ways, we're, we're more than 10%. <clears throat> um, maybe not much more, but we're growing every week. I think people are getting sick of this because I, I have a friend who I've been friends with her for five years. We worked at um, Starbucks together and she's a huge masker and she, you know, was terrified by all of this, you know, wouldn't leave the house. She's now finally okay with going to grocery stores as long as she's wearing her mask. Um, but even her now, she's like, I just don't know. She's like, this is all just so confusing to me. It makes no sense. That's what she said to me today, because today we went for, you know, our we, we go for a five-mile walk a couple times a week. So, but that's what she all said right. to me today. It's just all so confusing all right. to me. Well, when they can't defend their positions and they have to use censorship to, to make their case, 
that in itself shows you that they're not standing on solid ground. I mean, they well, cannot I mean, defend their position. Well, even, you know, yeah. like this whole mask crap. Fauci said, you know, um, some, what did he say? Fuck, I can't remember. But he's like, um, oh shit, I can't even remember now, so just forget it. But like, <laughs> I even posted on my Facebook page and I can't even remember it now. But like, something, all right. Oh, asymptomatic transfer transmission has never been the driver of respiratory illnesses so you know he said that but yet then he's like a couple weeks later oh no we all need to wear masks well that makes no sense because of asymptomatic transmission we all need to wear masks well you just said two weeks ago that that's never been a driver in respiratory illnesses ever but now you're you know actually actually there there's some research that that it's impossible that that asymptomatic transmission there, there was the, the largest study ever done on it was in China of 10 million people. 10 million people were studied and found that asymptomatic transmission. Now, remember, that, that idea is the basis for all these mitigation tactics yeah. by the state. Yeah. Masks, lockdowns, uh, limits on gatherings, everything is based on this fake notion of asymptomatic transmission. And the largest study ever done on it shows it doesn't happen. It's, an, it's all a lie. Well, what about the damage that teaching our kids, especially our young kids, that everyone is a potential threat? Everyone, you know, is a potential disease carrier and you need to, you know, fear everyone. I mean, that kind of fear and panic to put into a child cannot be good for their emotional development. None of this can be. No, no. It's criminal. They all need to go to jail. They all need to be tried for war crimes. Every fucking one of them. Well, they certainly all need to come to their senses. <laughs> and on that happy note. More than that. <laughs> on that happy note, maybe we could wrap it up. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. We're 50 so, minutes into it. Same time. Well, next week we'll be broadcasting live on the Free Speech Media Network. We'll still upload to YouTube. Um, and what else? Until we're banned. <laughs> well, then we'll just go to Rumble or BitChute or something. Honestly, at some point we're going to be using Light Bright in the in the vacant lot down on the we're corner be of town. Yep. Yep. All right. So, like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> I like that. So, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Love you.